podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitch. Today, we are recapping the week that was in college basketball, specifically for the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, For those of you that were wondering, no, we are not going to recap that Texas Tech game as much as I really want to. We're not doing that on this episode um, because of the situation with us having previewed the Texas game a couple weeks back and then not actually being able to actually play that game. Um, We're not going to need as much of an update, so I'm going to go ahead and do the recap for that on the Friday episode, so you'll get a recap of that football game slash looking ahead to what is updated from the Texas game. So um, instead, we are going to focus completely on basketball at this point, which is what we typically try to do at this point in the year anyway, because everybody wants to talk about basketball and it's full going full swing. So I do not have my normal basketball cohort in Steve Fetch here tonight. He had a conflict, but filling in for him admirably will be Brendan Brzezinski. Uh, he is, I believe, one of the hosts over on uh, 580 over in Topeka. Correct me if I got that wrong. No, man, you're, uh, you're spot on with that. Yeah, 580 Sports Talk, uh, weekdays 2 to 6 on 580 Radio in Topeka. All right, I thought I, thought I still had that right. Okay, so obviously three games this last week. Um, you could actually tell by the end, by, by that final game, that they were, had been playing quite a bit. Um, you know, I, like, honestly, I think the biggest story from this week and where we'll start is, um, you know, the fact that they played five games in a nine-day span going from Thanksgiving to this last Saturday. Um, you know, do you, one, do you, do you think that that was showing? Because, honestly, I think it was, but, but I, I, I have been known to be wrong before. Um, and do you think it was a good idea for them to try to cram that many games into such a short time frame at the beginning of the season? So I would say that it, it absolutely was a factor. And I was there uh, at the North Dakota State game as media. I was up in the seats. And, you know, you can tell, you know, anyone who's ever been to a, a basketball game, especially a college basketball game, when the energy just isn't there for a team, I mean, you can just see it on, on the faces and in the body language and just the frankly, the speed of the game, it just feels a little bit off. And, and you could tell. I mean, some of those guys out there were, were dragging. And I think that Marcus Garrett probably still isn't quite 100% after recovering from uh, whatever that ailment was he had uh, in the game against Kentucky right. in the immediate aftermath there. So, you know, you factor that in because he still hasn't quite gotten his offensive game going since that first matchup with Gonzaga. And, you know, I, I think guys were sort of dragging. And, and, and this will factor in, too, I, I'm sure, and, and this might come up later as well. But And Self said this after the game, that when you have a, a stretch where you play a ton of games in a short period of time and you're traveling a bunch and eventually you run into an opponent that does, you know, that follows the blueprint for how to beat top 10 KU, and that is burn up the shot clock, take contested threes, and then make them and hope KU doesn't respond on the other end. I mean, that's the blueprint for mid-majors and small majors to beat KU. And to North Dakota State's credit, they did it almost perfectly uh, for most of the game. And for KU to not be able to have the crowd there, to have the home court advantage there, I think really did play a major factor because usually, you know, by the the 10-minute mark of the second half, it's okay, KU's going to turn it on, go on a 20-2 run, and this game's going to be over. But when you don't have other people creating that energy – you're just kind of stuck in your own malaise. And I think that's kind of what KU was dealing with uh, by the end of the North Dakota State game. So, you know, in the long run, I don't think it was too big of an issue to play five games in nine days because, you know, you play these non-conference tournaments in the beginning of the year and these games scattered about, and you end up with four and 10 or five and nine once in a while anyway. But 
I think the factor of having a weird off season and not having anyone else there to promote the energy like KU players are used to, I think all that kind of just played into, God, we need a break for a couple of days after that last game against NDSU. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things, like, when a mid-major comes to a place like Allen Fieldhouse, like, it's not even necessarily as much about Allen Fieldhouse pumping up the Jayhawks, but it's also kind of that intimidation factor. Like, that's not mm-hmm. an environment that they're used to. And there's, you know, it's very rare that there's a mid-major team that isn't, you know, awed by that or isn't affected by that in some fashion. And not, not having that environment there didn't give them the boost either by boosting them up or, you know, knocking North Dakota State down a peg to, to really kind of give them that boost that they needed to get, to get there in the last 10 minutes. And, you know, also, also kind of to your point, like, I do think, yeah, it was, it was strange having so many games quickly, but given the fact that we are in a COVID season, we've already kind of seen a bunch of cancellations all over the place. Teams are going to be trying to, you know, fit in games wherever they can. And if we're, you know, there's nothing to say that we're not going to have a similar situation inside of conference play, even where the big 12 realize they need to get a bunch of games in. And so they have to cram a bunch of them in, you know, to make it actually work. So doing this now, kind of knowing what that's like at the beginning of the season and having that kind of in your back pocket so that if it comes up again later in the season, you've been, you know, you've done it, you know how to handle it. That is probably good, you know, good exposure and good practice that you can't really get any other way other than playing a bunch of these. And, you know, to their credit, they played games, game stretch, and they only lost one of them, which to the consensus number one team in the nation, Gonzaga, who looks like an absolute beast this year, especially early. So there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of in, in you know, losing that one game. And they got a whole bunch of really, really good experience there. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and jump into the first game of this last week that they had, the game against Kentucky, a 65-62 to 62 win in Indianapolis, um, which that in and of itself was, was actually really nice because they get that practice, you know, in what is likely going to be where they are, you know, trying to make a run to the national championship in the NCAA tournament, um, get there a little bit more often now, it sounds like at this point. But, uh, you know, being able to get in that game and, you know, rather than get too much into the, the narrative of the game myself right now, what was the biggest takeaway that you had from that particular game? Well, to me, I think the, the easiest takeaway and probably the, the outside view is that, wow, KU really misses Yudoka Azubuki. But to me, honestly, the biggest thing, and, and my whole view of the beginning part of this season, given COVID and, and everything else, how weird the season has been, it's starting late, the schedules are being changed for everyone, has pretty much been in the early, you know, first five, six games of the year, anything positive you can take away is something you can build on and anything negative, you just kind of flush it and say, yeah, that's early season. And I think the Gonzaga game in a large way kind of fits into that uh, description perfectly. So in the Kentucky game, the biggest thing to me, honestly, was that KU fought. I mean, they looked like dogs out there for the entirety of the game, really, when things were not going well. I mean, you shoot under 30% for the game, you know, 29.6% or whatever against a team that is, exceptionally raw in Kentucky. I mean, you can tell watching that team that they've got athletes, but they are raw as all hell. But to fight against that all day, when you really have no post presence at all against a really tall team, that was really impressive to me. So that was maybe the biggest thing. And, you know, we know that sometimes KU teams, and maybe last year didn't really play into this, but you get the, you know, Bill Self, well, this team is playing soft at the beginning of the year, but I think the Kentucky game more than maybe any other game so far has shown that this team is very tough. They're very mentally tough 
Uh, and I think Marcus Garrett is obviously the best example of that, given the fact that he was playing with the stomach flu or whatever he was dealing with in Indianapolis. I mean, it, again, I, I think it's still something that might be bothering him. But that, that was the biggest thing for me is just you see a team go out there. They don't play well. I mean, that was not a good game outside of the hot streak in the second half from Jalen Wilson. But they still fought. They still scratched. They beat a really athletic team in an empty gym in what was effectively a road environment. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't be at least somewhat impressed with that. Again, considering you had no post presence in the game. I mean, you're running Tristan and Aruna and Jalen Wilson as your fives for the whole game against a really tall Kentucky team, and it worked. I mean, that was, to me, extremely encouraging that they were able to keep that energy up in that kind of environment and actually turn it into a successful end-of-game scenario. Yeah, I mean, you know, really it was one in that, set, you know, the the middle portion of the game. So the, the last 10 minutes of the of the first half and then the first 10 minutes of the second half, because even though they basically just got it back to even at that point, like they, they really were able to clamp down because Kentucky went on an early 15-0 run, you know, in that first 10 minutes of the game. And it looked like Kansas was just completely overmatched. And and like you said, like you could tell pretty, pretty early that Marcus Garrett was not going to have a phenomenal game you know he was definitely dealing with with that stomach bug or whatever it is that he's dealing with honestly we, we still don't know what it is and honestly i don't even think that the kansas staff knows what it is at this point they've they've actually talked about that a couple times but um you know so it's one of those things to have a guy step up when mccormick is not playing well at all um i mean he didn't even hit, like it wasn't even like a foul trouble type of thing he just looked awful in that game for whatever reason he was not able to to post up on anybody and, and that's probably going to be a point of discussion that we're going to have quite often this year because I, I don't really know what's going on with him. Um, and I don't know when he's going to get an opportunity to really get it turned around. But, um, you know, the fact that Jalen Wilson kind of stepped up against that much bigger Kentucky lineup and honestly was, was fairly dominant down low in the post. You know, they were, they were pushing Kentucky guys off of where they wanted to be. And he was driving to the basket quite a bit. Like that, that is the, obviously the, I, I think the biggest you know, story from that is that Jalen Wilson broke out in that game and now makes me wonder, you know, how big of a, you know, he, he's kind of low key, the most important player on this team, because if McCormick's not going to be your guy down low, you need someone to really eat up those minutes. And it seems like it's going to be him. Yeah, I think that's absolutely where you go. And yeah, I mean, he's played at a level that, you know, even people I know, whether they're friends or, or other media folks or whoever who thought he would be a good player, I don't know if anyone saw him being this good right off the rip. And if you did, I mean, congratulations. That was a hell of a prediction. But, you know, again, I think it comes down to sort of the intangible toughness, but also he's just got such a well-rounded skill set where he can stretch the floor, he can shoot, he can beat you off the dribble, but he's also got that physicality. He's got some length to him. He's got that innate toughness that allows him to, play kind of a, a bully role down low, which you sort of have to be when you're undersized for the position near it among the trees, like what Kentucky was throwing at KU. So uh, you get that kind of like revelation moment, like, Oh, Hey, this is actually going to work out for us. Like we can play five and or five uh, guards. I should say to be more specific, we can play five guards. We can play five small and it can work for us because we've got this guy who's got the skill set to get it done. And I think you could tell in that Kentucky game specifically, they were not ready for it. And, and I know we're going to get to the other games too, but you've been able to tell since then that even if offensively, they still want to try to get McCormick involved and, and try to get him going eventually, 
defensively, that is where you have an obvious advantage when KU is going five out because they have right. the length, they have the athleticism. And, and I was just saying the other day, in fact, that I think this is one of the most athletic KU teams we've seen in quite some time. Because you've got guys all over the floor who just have crazy, you know, just innate abilities to, to jump, to block, to reach, whatever it might end up being. And, and to have that athleticism and that length I think is going to be the major difference. And, and specifically for Wilson, that's why I have more confidence in KU going five small than I do in almost any other team right now doing anything, except for Gonzaga, because we've seen when they're hot offensively, they can pretty much right. do whatever they want. And also, I, I do kind of wonder, though, if Kansas had gone strictly to the five up, you know, a lot earlier in that Gonzaga game and hadn't mm-hmm. tried to force feed McCormick in there, how much more competitive they would have been in that game. Because, you know, Wilson didn't really get going in that game because they hadn't really turned it over to him. And, you know, like in the game against St. Joe's, we kind of got a peek at what Wilson was going to be able to do. But, you know, we thought that was because it was the run and gun style, the fact that St. Joe's wasn't really big down low. And he was just able to kind of, you know, use the the small difference in height there. And and his athleticism was was taking over. What What shocked me about this game against Kentucky was he held his own against guys that had several inches on him. Um, you know, I mean, like he's six, eight, Olivier Saar is seven foot and he was consistently like bullying him down low, backing him down, really kind of finding ways to get around him and do what he wanted to do. And so, you know, he was, he was going toe to toe with the big guys that were so much bigger than him and then running around them when he, you know, was able to find himself an open lane. So I was really impressed. I think, I think if, if, if he had started doing that sort of thing, in the Gonzaga game that maybe that game would have been a whole lot closer, you know, especially down the stretch before Ochai Baji was, was fouling out in that one. So, you know, I, I obviously can't go back and replay any of that now, but um, you know, coming into the year in our, in our preview episode that, that fetch uh, Jesse Newell and I did, you know, we had talked about Jalen Wilson and how he was a guy that could potentially take a big step forward. But my thought there was that it was going to take a while for him to get the opportunity to actually do that. And obviously McCormick struggling as mightily as he did in that first game against Gonzaga opened up the opportunity for Wilson to do something that while we thought he had the possibility to do it, we didn't think it was going to work anywhere near that well. And so kind of similar to the way that Christian Brown, you know, got an opportunity with some weird circumstances last year and took off with it. Jalen Wilson has done that to an even greater degree, breaking out this year and really kind of changing the way that this team can actually play. And so it's, it's really exciting to, to be able to watch it. Um, and I'm just, I'm looking forward to kind of see what they can do. It gives them a completely different look than anyone else in the big 12 too. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to translate to the big 12, because, you know, we were worried about them matching up with no one on the inside kind of stuck in this mode of Kansas needs to have a big guy to dominate down low with, you know, Doak and uh, going back to Embiid and Aldrich and like all these guys were so used to them having a dominant big guy for their super successful teams. And the way that college basketball is going now that's not a requirement anymore. So it'd be interesting to see how Bill Self adapts to this lineup and really is able to kind of push this new, I guess, look for the team into the Big 12 and and go from there. And we know, too, that Bill Self, and he's shown this so much over the last couple of years, changing the way he runs his team. And I've almost been impressed with how quickly he has been willing this year to run with the, the five out. Because, I mean, we all remember last season at the beginning of the year, and last year's team was the best in America. 
by you know the midpoint of the season, at least, if not earlier than that, and obviously well into conference play. But there was the insistence on playing two bigs. And it was, no, get, let Udoka be the one big guy. Let's go four small around him, and everything is going to click. And eventually, the stubbornness kind of wore off, and, and boom, everything started to work out. And so I've been really impressed that this year when KU, uh, again, aside from the Gonzaga game, when everyone was just, I mean, that game was almost a throwaway to a degree because we had no idea what college basketball in a pandemic was going to look like. <laughs> but right. you, you see this team now, and it's, okay, well, Dave is in there. He didn't play well for three minutes, and we're just going to go to our best defensive lineup because we know Self's always going to lean defense first. And that option for KU right now is to go with five guards. And the willingness to do that and then still try to, when McCormick is in the game, find a way to get him involved. And I think, to you know, the last couple of games this, this week we're talking about where, okay, it's you put him in, you try to feed him the ball because Self loves his big men. Of course, we know that. And if it works, great. He puts up points like he did against Washburn, which I would hope so because uh, as talented as Washburn might be at the D2 level, it's still a D2 school. And, you know, right. it, it didn't work against North Dakota State. He, he had a couple good minutes, but still just not a lot of touch he showed at the basket. You've got to have that if you're a scoring big man. And the willingness to say, okay, well, it's not working right now. Take him out. We're going to go with five. We're going to put uh, Jalen Wilson in, or we'll give Tristan Anaruna his token three minutes of the game. I, I really do think is a positive sign for this team that there's not a whole lot of stubbornness in terms of the rotations or stubbornness in terms of the lineup we see at any given time, which really is encouraging to me, to be quite frank, because it's saying, okay, well, we're going to put our best five out there and give our guys who need to improve the room they need to improve without putting a mass quantity of pressure on them in clutch situations, which, which I think is going to really help this team in general, specifically a guy like McCormick, who I think more than anything, I think he's just in his head. I mean, he's not Udoka athletic, but he's a good athlete. He's a very smart player. He just can't quite put it together. So giving him opportunities when he doesn't have to be Superman, I think is really going to help him, hopefully at least, calm down a little bit and be able to slow the game down in his own head. Yeah, and, and that's what Bill Self has been phenomenal at doing. And we see this year after year and kind of, you know, we we almost take it for granted at this point where he will do things that drive us crazy early in the year um, because he knows that his team needs to work on something and he knows that them figuring that out now early in the year when they can either afford to take losses because of it or they're playing competition that they can still beat even if they're, you know, struggling through some things. Um, it's going to allow them to work on that and then be ready for it when they need it later in the year. And like, this looked like, well, like, like last year, you know, trying to force feed the two bigs because the expectation was that they were going to, you know, run into a situation where they needed to be able to play two bigs and they would work on it early. And it became more and more apparent throughout the year that really that their, their best ball was being played when they had four guards that McCormick was not able to be a four. And, you know, uh, Silvio, couldn't really figure anything out last year, unfortunately. And then with Mitch Redshirt, like they didn't really have the guys for it. And, and Anaruna, like you didn't want to get into a situation where Anaruna had to play the five because they, they struggled mightily there. Um, and so, you know, they were doing the best that they could to try to like, they, they finally realized that that was their best role with McCormick as the five, you know, kind of taking over for Doak when Doak couldn't be in the, in the, in the game um, and just focusing on that four out um, this year. I think they've identified pretty early that, keeping McCormick in the game and forfeiting him this early is getting into his head more than it's actually helping him. And so this is a case where 
by going to what seems to be the most effective lineup and that they're probably going to be using mostly throughout the rest of the year. Um, like they're actually, I think doing themselves a favor, getting used to that early and finding ways and getting McCormick, you know, kind of used to being, you know, I guess the starter in name only at this point, because he doesn't play starter minutes. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things they're, they're transitioning and it ends up us thinking that he's, you know, getting to what he's inevitably going to be get to a lot sooner. But I honestly just think kind of what you were talking about that McCormick's in his head right now, forcing him out there isn't going to actually help him. And so this is really just Bill Self doing what he always does, which is, you know, pushing the right buttons to develop his team as much as possible, as quickly as possible, and still kind of saving them for the situations that he thinks that they're going to see later in the year. Which is, I, I mean, that's the, the smart approach to this, I think, because you're, you know what you're going to get with some of these teams in the Big 12 and the teams that are going to give you a problem in this conference this year. And when you, if you think, if, if you are coaching this team, if you are Bill Self, if you think that the best option for your team late in the season, the most likely way you find success is if you have David McCormick playing well then you absolutely do whatever you can right now to get him in a better – this is going to sound a little extreme, but you want him to be in a better mental state where he's not overthinking things, he's not putting too much pressure on himself, where he is, frankly, just calmer, at least in, in a physical, visual way. Because, again, if that's what you think you need to consistently hang with and beat Baylor or to beat Oklahoma State – I know OK State can't play in the tournament this year, but they're still going to be good because they've got one of the best recruits uh, in recent memory, in Cade Cunningham in the conference. So when you think you have to go up against, or another example is West Virginia, because we know they've got two very good bigs down low in Sheboy and Culver. So if the idea is you need him to be ready when the big games come up and you can win now with the system you're running now, then, then I'm right there with you. I think you're doing the right thing. And I also think Self does have something. He said this at least twice now, if not more than that, that you it's going to be hard for the guys that they have with the lack of size when they go five guards to be able to hang with bigger bodies over the course of a long season, even if the year is a couple games shorter than normal, like there might be more wear and tear on Jalen Wilson. If he's getting banged around in the paint more than it would, you know, wear on a McCormick or, you know, someone in past years, like obviously a, a Udoka. So to, to be able to prepare for that later in the season now is frankly a luxury that KU is, frankly, very lucky to be able to use that they have another system they can work with and work within to pick up wins and pick up these big moments. And I think that just shows you that it's, it's a great example that Bill Self knows what he is doing. And if worst right. comes to worst in his mind and McCormick can't fix it, like if he's you know peaked or whatever, and I don't want to speak something negative into existence like that, but for, if what, for whatever reason it just does not work out with him this year, well, then you've still got something that very clearly works. And, and that's better than having to rely on him where, okay, well, if he doesn't play well, then we're screwed. It, this is clearly not a KU team that is stuck like that. So I actually really like where KU is right now, even with a close win over a pretty eh North Dakota State mid-major team, and even with the loss to Gonzaga, I think there's a lot of positives to take away. And the biggest is, a team that wants to use a big man and frankly can't right now still winning and still clicking. Uh, that's a really positive sign. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's um, just really quick, just chatting about, I mean, 
that, that game against Washburn was a game where McCormick got going. Like, according to Ken Palm, he was the MVP of that game. And they, they really spread it around in that particular game. And I thought he, you know, yes, it was against D2. But the fact that he had a game like that where he could get going and kind of go from there, you know. And, I mean, I think it's become clear because in that game against North Dakota State, he was having problems as well. That he is not going to be the focal point of the offense like we thought maybe he could be. Um, you know, the way that, that Doak was or the way that, you know, other big guys that they've had to dominate down low, you know, even like a, like a, uh, um, oh gosh, I'm, you know what, never mind. I'm not even going to try to think of the other names that I was thinking <laughs> of. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they've done that in the past where they, they have a big guy who is the focus of the offense and the guys out on the perimeter are setting up, you know, looking in for inside first. And that's just not the way that they play anymore. And, and honestly, that's the way that they've been trending that way for quite a while. And they finally fully embraced it this year where, they're not looking inside unless it's guys trying to drive inside on their own at this point and then kick out. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of develop that before we move on to the games that are coming up this next week. Was there any bit other ways from that Washburn or that North Dakota state game that you want to talk about? You know, I think Washburn, it's pretty much can a bunch of different dudes make plays against a team that has clearly inferior talent. Well coached shout out to Brett Ballard, the, the KU great, but, uh, I mean, yeah, that game went pretty much as I expected. Washburn made a couple shots early, and then KU said, oh, yeah, by the way, we're Kansas, and pretty much ran away with it. I mean, that, that went about the way I expected. And, and again, the the KU versus North Dakota State game, similar to Kentucky, and obviously you don't want to compare them completely because one level of talent is uh, should not be comparable to the other. But you see the fight, you see the tenacity, and I think the biggest takeaway there was a Jalen Wilson having a really good game, even though he didn't shoot it well, but also, I mean, tie on Grant Foster, who I don't know what he's going to give you over the course of the season in terms of scoring. I I know he's got incredible athleticism though. And the fact that he can use it in different ways, he used it to get to the basket for a clutch bucket with under two to play or, or right around two to play against North Dakota state. You love to see him be able to make that play off the dribble heading toward the hole and then on defense with 10 seconds to go, he, and he broke this down during the post game too. He broke down, well, I knew he was going to use this move. I knew he wouldn't see me, so I could approach this way. And that is very high IQ basketball play in a build self yeah, system definitely. that this dude has been in for a matter of weeks, given the, the lack of off season. I mean, it's really been weeks that they've been together and he makes the smart play. He shows off the athleticism. And I mean, that's a really great thing. And he even said after the game, like, Hey, I, I wanted to play more, and I knew I needed to play defense, and now I'm playing it, and it paid off. Like If you have that kind of attitude, that's going to always help you with a Kansas Bill Self team. And to have a guy like that be able to make a play in a crucial situation and not have to defer to someone else and kind of play follower, I mean, that's awesome. And, again, he might not have a game as good as that the rest of the season, but, I mean, I assume he will, but – even if he doesn't, it's good to see that you can get something out of a bunch of different guys at any given moment. Maybe next time it'll be Bryce Thompson. Maybe Anaruna will have his moment at some point. But having the ability to go to different guys and rely on different guys to make a play, I think that was the most encouraging thing, even though, again, you beat a winless team by just four points at home. Yeah, I mean, and we're in a situation so far this year that they've got a bunch of guys that can step up and be the guy in any particular game. But they also have a couple go-to guys in Abaji and Jalen yeah. Wilson and, and even Brown to some degree. Like that's what they have is either they have like a couple go-to guys and don't have a whole lot around them. They kind of have to piecemeal it together 
or they have a whole bunch of guys that could potentially step up, but nobody that they can rely on when they really need a big bucket and know who it needs to go through. And, you know, they have both of those now this year. They have a guy on the perimeter. They have a guy down low, even though it's not the guy we expected it to be, you know, down low, they can really kind of push the game the way that it needs to be pushed. So, like, they have all the pieces that you need for this to be a deep run for this team, other than you would like to have, you know, a dominant big guy who's actually tall enough to be your standard type of big guy. But, like, if that's the only piece that you're missing and you can find creative ways to kind of make up that production that you, you're not getting in the way that you're used to, then this team can still really do a lot of really great things. So, all right. Um, I do want to go ahead and turn to the games coming up. But before we do that, I do need to throw it to a break. We'll be right back on, on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right. So um, full disclosure here, we actually had recorded this next section where we're going to be previewing Creighton and the other two games, and my recording decided to not take it. So we're doing this again. So if it sounds a little weird, that would be why. But um, Brandon, thanks for, uh, for, for jumping back here with me so we can talk about this, because this is obviously a huge game here, this game coming up, Kansas versus Creighton. Um, you know, this is – it's funny because this is probably the third most anticipated game on Kansas' schedule this year. Um, especially in the, in the non-conference here. And yet this, I think, has the makings to be one of the more interesting games. Um, you know, obviously that, that Gonzaga game that we started with was was the one that everyone was anticipating because it was expected to be, um, you know, and, and honestly, I think it lived up to the billing. But this one as well, looking at Creighton's offensive prowess that they have here against Kansas's defense, you know, Creighton being the sixth-ranked offense, according to Ken Palm, and Kansas being the fifth-ranked defense. Like, this looks like it's going to be a very good matchup. Where specifically in this game are you looking um, for most of the fireworks to be, like most of the the intrigue to be in this particular game? So I think the, the big thing for me is, if you're talking in terms of just a specific player, I'm really interested to see what Christian Brown is going to be able to do in this game, because I think he's one of the most important players for this team, and I love his game. I, I really do. I think he has so much. I love the way he developed last year. I love what he's been able to add in really such a short time with the program. And there's been so much talk, especially to start off this week. I know Bill Self talked about it during his Monday press conference. I know friends of the program, uh, Nick Schwartz, CJ Moore from The Athletic, those two were talking about it on Twitter about Christian Brown's got to shoot more threes. KU in general has got to shoot more threes. And I think Brown is going to be a really key part of the offense. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, you've gotten good offensive contributions, obviously from Jalen Wilson. We've talked about him a bunch from Ochai Abaji too. Who I've been frankly really impressed with uh, to start the year. I think this is kind of what we thought he could be last year and he's doing it this year, which is great. Um, but you add in Christian Brown, who's probably the best shooter on this team, just in terms of just, you know, pure shooting ability. He is thought of as uh, not quite a, a pure three and D guy, but, but kind of in a way, and that was sort of his role last year. And he can be a spot-up shooter. I think there's going to be a lot of moments this year when the best offense for KU is going to end up being you drive and kick. You, you send Bryce or Marcus or one of these guys, you send them to the basket, and they can either go finish, get their own shot off the dribble, or they kick it out and Christian Brown has an open or semi-open look to hit a three-pointer. And you're going up against a Creighton team, and you mentioned the Ken Palm numbers, and th- they are really good offensively. They are not going to be forgiving if you are not able to keep up with them on the offensive side. And sure, the KU defense is going to have a, a role in this game as well. We know that side of the ball will likely be disciplined. It's always well coached. It's going to hopefully have an impressive game. 
but you've got to be able to keep up offensively against a team that has a couple different guys who can score, who can get their own shot, who can work you inside. I'm really interested, frankly, to, to see what Creighton is able to do offensively because they're just a fun basketball team, and I'd like to see them against a good defense like KU. But how KU is going to answer, I think that's kind of the more, the more general scope, even beyond what CB can do. But if you've got a guy like him who has been kind of maybe a little trigger shy, I don't know if that's a completely fair way to assess it. I'm obviously not in his head, but you know, you get open looks, you've got to be able to take them. And that's something that guys for KU have been a little skittish about over the years. And eventually that gets coached out and they're able to quote unquote free the three. So if this is the game like that for Christian Brown, then that's great. I mean, if he's shooting 10 threes, he's making 40% plus on the year. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot as many as you want. And KU is going to end up being just fine. So for an individual player, I think he's got a big opportunity in this game. Uh, But just in general, I'm curious to see how KU's offense, which has been spotty at times to start the year, uh, is able to keep up with a really efficient group for Creighton. Yeah, I mean, and and kind of back to talking about Christian Brown, like I think his his role this year is very similar to what Ochai's role was supposed to be last year, where, well, and, and I guess really was in that, you know, they they both had breakout freshman seasons where they did a whole lot more than people expected them to. They had very clear, very narrow, defined roles of what they were expected to do for that particular team, and they did it admirably well. Um, and then going into the next year, like the expectations are going to take a step forward. And, you know, Ochai was expected to do, I think, a whole lot more than he was ready to do last year, which is part of the reason, like, everyone was expecting him to, to take that next step forward. And he just didn't really do it because the expectations for him were so high. Christian Brown is a very similar, like, in a very similar situation this year where the expectation is he's going to take on a much bigger role, help drive the offense a lot more, do a lot more in the half court set. You know, last year he was a defense and spot up three shooter. And that was really the only thing that he needed to, to, to focus on last year. And he excelled at that role. He had an opportunity to do it, a little bit unexpected, you know, took, a, took that on and flourished in it so much so that, you know, Bill Self had problems keeping him off the floor last year. Now he's being asked to do a whole lot more. Um, and it seems like he is, he is focusing a lot on those particular things and losing a little bit what it was he did so well last year. His defense is still there, but he is just not – He's overthinking when he gets the ball and going up to shoot threes, trying to figure out, am I supposed to be shooting a three here or am I supposed to be passing and, you know, making sure that someone else is getting involved or making sure that we're getting to the the more open shot. And he's losing that step there. He's not, you know, as natural with the shooting that he's doing. And when we've seen it this year, when he goes into a possession expecting to shoot the three, he gets it, he shoots it. It looks really good. And he more often than not, he actually is making those. And so like, that's I think what we're seeing this year is that he's just he's trying to do too much. So so saying that it's you know like him versus his head or trying to get out of his head, I think is very appropriate here. That he just he needs to find you know and and maybe it's probably just going to take time for him to do that. But he just needs to make sure that he doesn't lose what he was so good at last year because he's trying to integrate all these additional things um, and it ends up affecting the game that we're that we know we can count on from him. So I'll be interested to see what he's able to do there. You know. This game against Creighton, you know, I'm looking, and, and most of what they get, according to Ken Palm, is is actually on the inside. You know, they have a seven-footer um, who is just absolutely phenomenal on the inside there. And so it'll be really interesting to see what uh, what Kansas is able to do with him there, if they're going to be able to be as effective against him as they were against the really, you know, big guys that Kentucky had. I'm starting to think that maybe that's not 
you know, the way that it's going to be just because Kentucky doesn't look like as good of a team as we thought they were going to be coming into the year after their loss to Georgia Tech. So I'll be really interested to kind of see what they're able to do there, um, you know, and whether they're able to stymie Creighton's offense as much as they are going to probably need to in this game, or if they can go ahead and get the three going, you know, as well as we know that they can, because that's really going to be the key for them to stay in this game is if they're struggling to stop Creighton from scoring, and they're going to need to be able to score a bunch, and the best way that they know how to do that is by shooting the three. Those opportunities are going to be there, and I think, and again, it's not just Christian Brown being able to shoot them. I mean, Ochai Abaji has right, had right. some really nice, nice shooting moments this year too, and you know, Marcus Garrett, whenever if he can hit the three, even semi-reliably. I mean, he's an unbelievable weapon on both ends. So you've got to put, and Jalen Wilson can do it. You know, and Aruna's going to want to shoot a little bit. So you're taking all these guys, and you're right. You know KU can shoot the three and can have moments uh, where it's good. I, I do think, though, I'm right there with you, that this is the kind of game where you need to be able to, to pull the trigger, to make the right shot, where if you get a look, you have to be able to take it. And Various teams over the years, I mean, you think not that long ago, it was the Final Four team with, with Devontae and Svee and Malik. And when they started just firing threes, they got a look and they took off. Well, all of a sudden, they looked like one of the best teams in the country. And last year, there were moments when you needed to shoot it. And maybe KU didn't even shoot it as much as it should have, despite being the best team in the country, in my estimation. So that's something that can be coached out. That's something that is going to develop over time this season. But undoubtedly, it would be something that'd be uh, a very nice addition if you could bring it out against the team that, again, is so good offensively that you're going to need uh, to keep in lockstep with. Yeah, and speaking of how good they are offensively, obviously with, with them getting everything down low, this actually was something we had talked about in the, the last one that didn't get recorded. But uh, your thoughts on how they're going to actually defend down low against Kalkbrenner? So the thing that I think you're going to have to do, and uh, our, our good friend Steve Fetch, I'm sure he would be a, a big fan of hearing me say this as well, is you play Garrett as the small ball five. You put Marcus Garrett down low because he is your best defender. And even though he has not looked, and I mean just truly looked from a, a purely physical uh, aesthetic standpoint, like he just does not feel well, we talked about uh, the illness he's been dealing with that's kind of hampered his offensive game. His defense, though, still looks phenomenal. I mean, when I saw him against North Dakota State, his hands were as sticky as ever. Uh, he was getting into passing lanes. His basketball IQ is just preposterous. So if he is still able to give you his best defensive effort, and, and hopefully by Tuesday for his own sake, he's, he's doing better because no one wants to be sick for that long, especially when you're exerting that kind of physical energy constantly uh, at such a high level. If he is playing his best defense, which I assume he will be, and he is by far the best defender KU has, he's a good defensive team, and he's one of the best in the entire country, you put him at the five because he can defend any spot on the floor. We know that he can do all sorts of different things. I think he can really pester a big man enough that even if they've got a clear size advantage, which obviously having a seven-footer would have, you can do a lot of things to bother them, to get them off their game, to kind of frustrate them down low. And as much as we like what Jalen Wilson has been able to provide in that way to a degree in the early going, Marcus Garrett's your best option. And he's your best defender at probably every single spot, along with the ability just to play every single spot defensively. So that would be my, my personal strategic approach is they put the ball down low. Who do you want to be the one to try to keep him out of the, out of the scoring tally as much as possible the answer to me is Marcus Garrett. I would hope, truthfully, we see a lot of him 
as your small ball five defender because, frankly, I think that's the, the easiest way you're going to be able to make Creighton's offense uncomfortable, which is not an easy thing to do, but if you can do it at all, uh, that's a big win for KU on both ends. Yeah, and, and you know, Bill Self talked about this last year, and it was one of the reasons that Garrett was the best, honestly, the best defender in the nation last year was because, you know, he can – he can guard all five spots. He's probably one of the few guys in college basketball that can actually guard all five positions and guard them well. And I mean, like, obviously he has a little bit more of an advantage, you know, up against the point guard than he does down low against a guy that probably has, you know, a good four or five inches on him. But, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And actually, man, I'm looking now, actually, he would have, uh, he would have seven inches on him if he was guarding Kalkbrenner. So it'll be interesting to see how he does that. But, you know, as we've seen McCormick have issues with, um, you know, smaller but quicker guys keeping him from really getting what he doing what he wants to do on the floor, I think that Marcus Garrett could do a similar sort of thing to the big guys that Creighton has here. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, obviously, yeah, if he, you know, the the one thing that doesn't go away no matter how bad Marcus Garrett is feeling seems to be his defense. So we'll be looking forward to that. And if other guys need to step up to be the offense there we can at least count on Garrett to really do what he can to disrupt what Creighton is doing offensively. So um, it'll be interesting to kind of see what they're able to do there. But anything else about this Creighton game before we move on? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be such a, a big test for KU, and I think a really fun test to be completely frank with you. I mean, you're going to see a team that is really efficient offensively after you already saw one that was really good back in the first game of the season, Thanksgiving Day. And you're going to have to be tested at some point later on this year when you face the Baylors and the other teams that are really good on the offensive end in the Big 12. So getting this test early in the season to see where you are, to see what some of your other role players can do. And, and hell, maybe maybe this is the game where David McCormick steps up and there's no answer for him. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to see it play out. But uh, I do think this is a really interesting test. And, and frankly, this is just one of the reasons why college basketball is so fun is you get non-conference games like this between two semi-local teams that have a bunch of local talent, you know, the uh, the Eudora product, Mitch Ballack, of course, for, for Creighton against all the Kansas City kids KU has now. It's just it's just a really fun college basketball matchup, and, and I think it's going to be a really fun clash of styles. They say styles make fights, and uh, this one should be a really quality heavyweight bout this year. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, all right, so before we get out of here for the day, any uh, thoughts about these other two games coming up, uh, you know, the Nebraska-Omaha game or the Tarleton State? Well, you mentioned it earlier, and I think it's just can you find a way to have a, a get-right game for David McCormick and a game that's not against D2 competition like Washburn was. And I know Tarleton State is just coming up. They're a transitional team from Division Two to Division One, But you're going up against a D1 team, and, and can you get some confidence? Can you work on the, the mental game? Will it slow down for you a little bit? Can you be uh, a little less? over anxious frankly uh when you're near the basket when you've got the ball in your hands when you're in a, a critical crucial conflicting situation and and if McCormick's able to figure it out well then you know I don't really care if it's against Kentucky or Gonzaga or if it's against UNO and Tarleton State I mean that's something that KU is going to need and and these are good opportunities for him to get that so I think he can have those kind of moments in this uh, next couple pair of games after uh, the matchup with Creighton and, and hopefully for his sake and for the whole team's sake that he is able to have that kind of game. Yeah. I mean, I almost think that these are the types of games where, you know, you don't, you don't need to blow these teams out by 30 or 40 points. You're fine with a, you know, 10, 12 point win if it gets McCormick going. So, you know, 
it might be frustrating to watch, but I get the feeling that we're going to see a lot more McCormick than we necessarily need to see just to try to get him going. So, um, but you know, when we come back and, and Kansas has only won those games by, you know, 10 to 15 points, I don't think we need to be worried about it. I sure hope that Fetch and I next week are not talking about like what, what is going on with this Kansas team that they play really good against the high level teams and then, you know, play down to the level of competition. I don't think that's going to be the case. Or if it is the case, it's going to be because they're actually working on something, which we talked about earlier. Like that's what Bill Self is known for. It's finding those times where he's able to work on something and taking full advantage of every single game minute that they have to try to find ways to make his team better later in the year. So, all right. Well, Brendan, that's going to do it. Thanks again for joining me today. Um, thank you guys so much for our, sorry, before I get into the, the, the exit there, where can the people find your work online? Uh, people can find my stuff online uh, on Twitter. You can follow me at Brendan DZW. Uh, also on our website at 580radiowibwnewsnow.com. Uh, and in Topeka and across the state of Kansas, you can listen on 580 AM uh, Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 PM for 580 Sports Talk. Yeah, you know, I wish I was close enough that I could actually get those live. So I'm, I'm trying to get your guys station to get you guys on some of the normal podcast apps to make it a little easier for me to catch you guys every single day. But yeah. um, we'll get there eventually. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I, <laughs> I know I listen to most most everybody that talks about KU and your guys is the one that I, I wish I could that I can't listen to quite as often as I would like to. So, But I definitely recommend anyone that can listen to what they're talking about over there. Every time I do, I, I always want to come back for more. So I, I really appreciate you joining us here tonight. Um, but thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, there's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the million apps that are out there. Subscribe to the podcast. So you get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, uh, five stars, nice comments, would absolutely love that. If not, for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Now that we're part of the Anchor Network, you can actually leave us a voicemail so that your voice can get directly onto the show as well. To do that, you just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. You can leave us a voicemail there. And I, again, I can bring you guys right onto the show so we can react or you guys can give us predictions or you guys can do whatever you want at that point there. So, um, But again, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.